0: middle schoolers. Am I on? Um, you guys are dismissed at this time to go upstairs with Eileen, Luke, and Ashley. The rest of you, greet somebody with the love of the Lord tonight, and then you can be seated, and we'll get started in our study. If you need a Bible tonight, uh, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible so we can study the book of Esther. And so um, we'll be in chapter 1. Go ahead and turn to chapter 1. We just got into it a little bit last week. We're going to go back and review it and uh, pick up um, where we kind of left off at chapter 1. But I want to go back and set the stage for what we looked at uh, briefly last week and then go into chapter 2. So the book of Esther, you'll find right after Nehemiah, right before the book of Job. The Book of Job, and um, wonderful story Esther is that we'll be in in the next several weeks. Also, uh, while you're turning there, just a couple quick announcements, and that is um, on Sunday. I want to remind you that we have our services 8:30 and 10:30, and we're in John's Gospel. And as I've mentioned to you, John's very selective in uh, what he writes about in his Gospel, and he only spends one chapter talking about Jesus' Galilean ministry where the multitudes are very large, as we saw a couple weeks ago when we opened up chapter 6. And as we finish chapter 6 this Sunday, we're going to see that the crowds are going to begin to leave Jesus because they're only coming to him to get something from him, to, uh, looking to him to be a political material king. And so Jesus is going to be emphasizing, I want fellowship with you. I want you to surrender to me and know me and, and to worship me. And so very important lessons that we're going to be looking at and studying in John's Gospel. And I love John's Gospel because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And all of us, we need the bread of life um, for eternal life and also so that we're fulfilled and satisfied in life. And those lessons are going to be given to us as we go through John's Gospel. So bring somebody on Sunday morning. This is a great, great study, John's Gospel, For those who who perhaps haven't really uh, been established in God's Word or or don't know the gospel message, for them to come and hear that Jesus is the bread of life, and he's the light of the world, and he's the good shepherd, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the resurrection and the life, and we're going to see Jesus declared very clearly as we go through the gospel of John. So 830 and 1030 this Sunday. And then also on Saturday, the young adults are having a barbecue, I believe, at 7 o'clock, is it, Travis? And um, I got my bulletin here. And it is at 7 o'clock, I think. I got the wrong bulletin. So anyhow, I think it's at 7 o'clock. So um, anyway, uh, barbecue... Uh, for the young adults, uh, Saturday here. And then um, also want to remind you that a week from this Saturday is the all-church picnic at 5 o'clock at uh, the Banawitz. Uh, and so we're looking forward to that. We're providing all the meat and um, the, you know, refreshments of, of um, water and, and lemonade and all that and table setting. So if you want to bring a dish to share, that would be wonderful, starting at 5 o'clock. There's maps to the Bannowitz, and I want to encourage you, come out. Let's have a meal together. Let's just relax and have a great time and enjoy each other and as a family. If you can come out on a week from Saturday, which is the 23rd at 5 o'clock. Um, there's other things that are there in your bulletin. Take a look at it. Oh, Calvary Chapel Magazine, if you didn't get one Sunday, there's still some in the bookstore. So after service, you can go back there and get one, and uh, I know that you'll be blessed as you look at Uh, this edition of Calvary Chapel Magazine. So you should be in the book of Esther. Chapter 1 is, Lord, we come and we just desire to learn from your word tonight. And um, this is a wonderful story, a true story, that took place um, nearly 2,500 years ago. And it's a story recorded for us to show us how you are faithful to your people how you're faithful to us, and even in times where it seems like that you're not present or you're not there, that yet you show yourself strong on behalf of your people. So, Lord, bless this night and help us be attentive. Help us remember that our ringers on our phones need to be off. We want to be free from distractions, and Lord, I do pray that you bless the children and the youth. Uh, The kids are starting school. Some of them have already started school or getting ready to start school, so we pray Uh, for them that um, as they start new schedules and as they go back to school, that you would, Lord, just be with them. And and this would be a time for them to be encouraged and to be strengthened because it's not always easy. It's not easy for any of us that go to the workplace or to school or whatever it might be for us in our lives. So, Lord, we want to be reminded that you love your people and you're with us and uh, you're working on our behalf and your word is true for us. So, uh, Lord, speak to our hearts, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So the book of Esther, of course, takes place after the 70 years of uh, captivity by Babylon to the house of Judah is over. And it takes place in about 478 B.C., so that is after Zerubbabel came back when the decree was given by Cyrus... When the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon, and it was Cyrus that said you can go back and rebuild the temple, and that's what Zerubbabel did. We saw that in Ezra chapters 1 through 6, and um, it would be uh, after that that then comes the story of Esther. The story of Esther takes place before Ezra comes back in the second wave of return that we saw in chapters 7 through 10 of the book of Ezra, and about 33 years before Nehemiah, as we saw in the book of Nehemiah, would come back to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. So this is historically when Esther has taken place. And as I mentioned last week, that Esther is the only book of the Old Testament, the only book of the whole Bible, that does not mention the name of God. So there have been those who have said and believe that perhaps that the book of Esther should not be included in a canon of Scripture. And it very much belongs in the canon of Scripture because we see here at this time historically that God is working on behalf of his people, keeping his word to them that he would save them and he does, and he's being faithful to them. And in a time when it seems like God was absent, as we're going to see in chapter 4, as the decree comes out, that the Jews should be destroyed, and they wail, and they weep, and they lament, and and they thought, this is it, We're, we're going to be destroyed. God was working. And so there's a very, very important lesson many lessons here but the one main lesson is is that god is working on behalf of his people and he's working on our behalf and especially in times when we feel like they're very dark and lord you're absent where are you where are you you know in this situation or circumstance that i am facing So I pray that as we go through this book, we're greatly encouraged as we read this story. And let's begin to look at it once again. Let's pick it up at verse 1 of chapter 1. Now, it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus that this is one uh, Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. So the Medo-Persian Empire is very powerful at this time. It's very large. It encompasses about 600,000 square miles from India and parts of Asia to the Middle East to northern Africa, and it was also a very wealthy empire, as we're going to continue to read. But in those days, the king Ahasuerus sat on the throne of the kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel. Then in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles, and the princes of the province being before him. And when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. So here is the king. He's also known as King Xerxes in history. And he has this this party, this feast for all the leaders of the 127 provinces that come from all over He has them there for 180 days. And the Medo-Persian Empire was a combination of the Medes and the Persians. And, of course, as you look at Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, he would interpret that dream that King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon at that time, uh, he had a dream. And Daniel comes in and gives him the dream and the interpretation of the dream. And he tells Nebuchadnezzar that you're the head of gold nebuchadnezzar that's babylon and you're going to be replaced by the chest and arms of silver which are the medos uh, persian empire the medes and the persians combining together and it's interesting as you look at these ancient names that uh, by the way for you who might be interested that you see that some of these players are um, very much in the news today And and it's interesting that uh, they're rising up, just as the Bible said that uh, the Persians would be rising up in the last days, and they will play an important part in the last day scenario. Now, the Persians is another name for Iran. Matter of fact, the country of Iran was called Persia until 1935. And then you have the Medes, and you hear about the Medes. They are what today in northern Iraq are known as the Kurds. And and we're hearing a lot about ISIS and how uh, the Christians in Iraq and in Syria are being persecuted, they're being killed, they're being martyred, they're being beheaded, even the children. And it's, it's horrible to read about it and to see, but that's what's happening to our brothers and sisters, you know, in different parts of the world and in the Middle East. So the Medes also are mentioned in the last days. So the Medes, uh, the Persians, come together to form this alliance, and they overthrow Babylon. And, of course, Babylon's mentioned in the last days as well. Matter of fact, uh, when Isis began to move, they would go through the city of Musul, and that is the ancient city of Nineveh. And Nineveh, of course, was the capital of the Assyrian Empire that would take the ten northern tribes off into captivity. So it's kind of interesting to connect the dots and see these these ancient names coming up again and how they're in the headlines. And even as Jeremiah would speak about them and Isaiah concerning end time prophecy that we don't have time to go into here tonight. But here are the Medes and the Persians. They came together, and um, they are very wealthy. And Ahasuerus is the king. He has this this party here for all his uh, leaders for 180 days or six months. And verse 5, and when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days for all the people who are present in Shushan, the citadel from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. So, After the six months are over, he has another party for all the people there in the capital, great and small. He has it there in the the king's court and and, uh, the garden of the king's palace. And he's showing off his wealth to them as well. And verse 6 tells us uh, what uh, it was like. There were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords of fine linen in purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. And they served drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance according to the generosity of the king. And in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory, for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. So they're having this party. He's showing off his wealth. We see that they're drinking out of, um, you know, golden vessels, and each vessel is different, and there's these uh, pillars that are made of marble and silver rods and, and fine linen that is all over the place, and it's just Uh, an incredible scene that's going on here as the king not only showing his wealth to the leaders, as we know historically that he's meeting with those leaders, for those six months, because what he wants to do is he wants to attack Greece. He wants to go against Greece, who is beginning to, to rise to power. His father Darius or Darius uh, was one that had a battle with uh, Greece at you know when he was reigning, and he lost that battle, the Battle of Marathon. So here is Ahasuerus. He wants to avenge his father's defeat. He gets these leaders together. He's showing off his kingdom. He, he is showing off his kingdom to the people of the capital here. And then in verse 8, in accordance with the law, the drink, uh, as we read that, the drinking uh, was not compulsory. So um, they did it according to each man's pleasure. Verse 9 Queen Vasti also made a feast of the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. And on a Seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman and these other seven eunuchs listed there in verse 10, who served in the presence of the King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vasti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials for she was beautiful to behold. In verse 12, But Queen Vasti refused to come at the king's command, brought by his eunuchs. Therefore the king was furious, and his anger burned within him. So what we see here is that he has this party, and as he has this party here, um, showing off his kingdom, here is the Queen Vasti that we're introduced to, and she's having a party for the women. And on the seventh day, the king already showing off his wealth, Showing off his riches, he decides that he's going to show off his queen. And so he asked her to come out with a royal crown. Now, here's where the debate is among scholars. What exactly was he asking Queen Fasti to do? And it is very probable, and we're going to go on this premise, that he was asking her to come out in a very immodest way, probably asking her to come out um, without any clothes on except for her royal crown. So here he is with his friends, he's drinking, he, he's bragging about his kingdom, he's been showing off his wealth for over six months to everybody, and he says, well I guess there's one thing left, and that is to show off the beauty of my queen. Maybe that's what he was thinking. So he asked her to come out, but whatever request that he made she says no i'm not going to do this i'm not going to come out and that made the king very furious now a couple things that we touched on last week that i think is worth reminding us all and that is he's making this decision as his heart was merry as the text tells us after seven days in other words he was drinking he was under the influence of wine of alcohol And I want to remind us what the Bible says very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, and that is to be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Spirit is what Paul writes to us. And you see what happens as we see illustrated here. Is that when anyone is under the influence of wine or drugs or, or anything else that clouds their judgment and clouds their decisions and their actions, and in a way to where they're going to end up doing foolish things and make foolish decisions and do foolish things? And that's why God says, Don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And as Christians, we don't want to be under the influence of anything that's going to cloud our judgment and our actions and what it is that we say, wine, alcohol, or anything else. We want to make sure that we're being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. And I hope that we're understanding this, that as Christians, that God says stay away from these things because the consequences can be great if you get involved in them. You'll get hurt. Sin is not going... to to be a blessing to you. You see, being filled with wine over time is not going to benefit you. It's going to bring you into bondage is what's going to happen. And we see that this whole story begins because here is a king that makes a foolish decision or makes a foolish request for the queen to come out in a very immodest way because he is filled with wine. And he makes this request. He wants to show off to his friends. He wants to show off the queen. And we see it sets the stage for the rest of the book here. So in verse 12 here is we see that she says, No way, I'm not coming out. The king is furious. Because, you know, what she was saying, Queen Fasti, is, is, you know, would be embarrassing as she said no. It would be embarrassing to the king. You made him look like a fool. How can you rule over this mighty kingdom, you know, the guys would be thinking, when you can't even rule over the queen? You know, this brings up a question that oftentimes that I get asked. And that is that sometimes wives, you know, or uh, women will ask me, what exactly does it mean that wives are to be submissive to their husbands? You know, how far does that go? You know, are there any lines? And there are husbands that will take that verse and they'll say, well, wife, you're to be submissive to your husband. And so they'll begin to be all dictatorial and, and, and dominating and all of this. Here is the guideline. Wives, you're to be submissive to your husbands as unto the Lord. That's the qualifier. So I want to encourage you husbands that don't put your wife in an ungodly situation and making ungodly choices or decisions, desiring for her to do ungodly things. That what you are to do is that you're to be a covering for her and a protection for her. And as you are desiring to lead in your home and and as you're desiring to be the head of your house and in your family and as you are called to lead, you are to lead in the way that you are to love her as Christ loves the church and that means that you are to serve her and that means you lay down your life for her and that means that you are to be loving her unconditionally and every decision that you do concerning your wife As you say, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. You should be able to say, this is pleasing to the Lord. This is pleasing and good in the sight of God. We are doing this because we want to please God. And as I've been called and commissioned to lead my wife and to lead my family, that I want to be in prayer, I want to be searching the Word of God, and I want to do that, which will honor the Lord. But don't ever put your wife in a position to where you're demanding her to be submissive to something that is contrary to God's word or God's way. For example, and I know this, that none of you would do this, but it brings the point out, you don't tell your wife, go to King Super and steal, you know, a roast so we can have a nice dinner tonight. She is not to do that because the word of God is a greater authority that you're not to steal. And make sure that as we as husbands, as we say, this is the direction we're going to go, and this is the way we're going to do things, that it is in a way that is pleasing to God. So it really begins with us. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as unto the Lord, and husbands always remember that. And wives, you are to respect your husband, and to pray for him, and encourage him, and pray with him. Encourage him to be that leader that God wants him to be. So here she says, no, king, I'm not going to display myself in front of all your drunken friends. So the king has a temper tantrum, so... What is it that he does? Well, this is where we kind of left off last week. Verse 13, Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice, Uh, those closest to him being uh, Sharshina and these other seven princes of Persia listed in verse 14, and Media, who had access to the king's presence and who ranked highest in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to law? Because she did not obey the command of King Ah Ahas? Her, her, Ahasuerus, brought to her by the eunuchs. And Mucan answered before the king and the princess, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all the princes and all the people who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will become known to all women, verse 17, so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him, but she did not come. And this very day, the noble ladies of Persia and Media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen, thus there shall be excessive contempt and wrath. So these guys who are supposed to be counselors, and wise men uh, to the, the king, they're more, you know, yes men. All they're wanting to do is please the king. He's mad, he's upset, he's throwing a fit. So they come to him to make him feel better, to say, King, you better do something or you're going to have all these wives throughout all of the kingdom that's going to be rebelling against their husbands and not being submissive to, the, to their husbands. Here's the thing about these guys that are given this advice. That the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And again, for you and I to be reminded that we are to fear God over fearing men. These guys are just going to tell the king what it is that he wants to hear. Hey, not only did she hurt you, but she hurt all the leaders and she hurt everybody in the kingdom. And so we need to do something about this king. And they're doing it so he feels better. So he feels like he's in control and that, you know, he's on top of this. But they do not fear God. These guys, of course, are are ones that have pagan beliefs and the king's not a believer at all. But I want to remind us that we are to be ones that we are fearing God over fearing men. And that as we fear God, we're going to desire to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. And that can be kind of scary in the day in which we're living in because that will bring repercussions to us and consequences of those coming against us. But for you and I truly, to be ones faithful to God, we need to be fearing God. And we need to stand for what is right. The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And that's what Nehemiah did. That's what Nehemiah did when he appointed leaders. Hananiah and Hananiah in chapter 7 were selected as leaders because the text tells us that they feared God more than many. We know that it was Daniel, that here is Daniel. Put yourself in Daniel's situation. He's a teenager. He's about 17 years old. He is taken from his home in Judah, He is taken to be trained in the affairs of the Babylonian government to stand before the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Not an easy situation. And yet, in chapter 1 of Daniel, he determined in his heart not to defile himself. I am not going to eat of the king's meat, and I'm not going to drink his wine. I am not going to do this, and I'm going to fear God. I'm going to trust the Lord, and God blessed them for that. It would have been very easy for him, as well as his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to just go with the flow, to say, hey, while in Babylon, then act as the Babylonian. There's nothing that we can do. And can you imagine the pressure that was on them? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, if he wanted to lop your head off, it was done immediately as soon as he spoke. And it almost happened in chapter 2. But Daniel and those who came with them, his friends, had determined in their hearts not to defile themselves. Are we determining in our hearts and in our lives Lord, I don't want to defile myself, and I want to fear you. I want to do what is right in your sight. I want to do what is, what is good. I want to do what honors you. And Lord, help me to be strong in that. Help me to, to be one that I fear you over fearing men. Just as Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, if I fear men, I can't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And what will happen is if you fear man. More than you fear God, you're going to end up compromising. You're going to end up compromising. So here is, you know, these guys, you know, they just want to please the king. You know, there's going to be a situation. There's going to be a time. There's going to be a circumstance. As I mentioned last week when I closed, that you're going to be tested in this. Especially in the world in which we're living in. Are you going to fear God and are you going to do what is right in the sight of God even though it may cost you? It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you a job. It may cost you business. If you've got a you know, business that you're running, it may cost you relationships. But you know that I cannot compromise. And I know what God's word has to say and I need to stand for what God says and do what is right in His sight. Second of all, as we look at this, You know, Vasti, as you read some of the commentators and stuff, sometimes she kind of gets a bad rap. You know, she was in rebellion. She should have gone out, you know. She was stubborn, you know. That's kind of what I hear and read sometimes about her. Really, I think that she should be recognized for her integrity and courage. If we go on the assumption, which I think is a good assumption, that she isn't going to go out there in an immodest way and, and do that and degrade herself and go out you know, to where um, you know, the king and all his drunken friends are, are going to get this big you know, um, you know, pleasure out seeing her, she did what was right. She's not even a believer. How much more we should do what is right? Right? to the boss, with our friends, with other family members. And it takes real courage, as I mentioned, and real strength to be able to do that. The theme that keeps coming up, I know a lot, in talking about being strong and courageous. And she here, she showed some backbone and said no to the king. She very well knew what the consequences were going to be. Yet she said, no, I'm not going to do this. Which leads me to point number three. These wise men that are only yes men, buttering up to the king, they should have recognized and acknowledged her for doing right. And how about us? My prayer is is that as we do what is right in the sight of the Lord, that we would be ones that were encouraging our brothers and sisters in doing that. We need that today. Hey, I know that it's difficult. I know that there may be consequences that you're going to experience, but God's going to honor you and God's going to bless you because you stood for Him and you're living for Him and you're doing what is right in the sight of the Lord. May we encourage one another in that, okay? We need that. We need that encouragement. And she didn't get any of this. So here she is. She says no, and they are going to come out with this decree. Verse 19 and so they say these, these guys, these wise men, if it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and of the Medes so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before King Ahasuerus and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. And when the king's de- decree which he will make is proclaimed throughout all his empire, for it is great, all the wives will honor their husbands, both great and small." And the reply pleased the king and the princess. And the king did according to the word of uh, Mucan. And then he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of his own people. So they make this decree that Fasti, she's fired, all right? She's not going to come before the king anymore as queen. Her position is going to be given to another. And the decree, as it was made, that we see here that it cannot be changed. Now, here's the thing about the Medo-Persian Empire. When it came to the previous empire Babylon, when you read in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're a powerful man. And Nebuchadnezzar, when he made a decree under the Babylonian Empire, As soon as those words left his mouth, it was a decree. It was law. And if he changed his mind five minutes later, then that's it. It was law once again. He could do that. So he could change his mind a 100 times a day, and they would have to keep up with that. We see that in chapter 3 of Daniel, right? Remember that he made that image made of all gold? And he commanded that everybody in the empire when you hear the different kinds of music or, or everybody there in Babylon, um, in the province, when you hear it, you need to bow down to this huge, huge golden image that he had made. And he made it all of gold. And I believe that the reason that he did that is because he was rebelling against the vision that, and the interpretation of his dream that was given to him, that you're the head of gold, but you're going to be replaced someday by the chest and arms of silver. And so he rebels against that and he says, Uh uh-uh, uh, I'm never going to be replaced. Here's an image that is all gold. My kingdom is going to last forever. But here he is as in his pride, and he says that when you hear the different kinds of music, everybody needs to bow down. And what happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, No, we're not going to do that. So he made, you know, as that decree came out, that if you don't bow down, you're going to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Those three guys, not bowing down to Nebuchadnezzar's image, were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's down below. He's looking in, you know, the, the burning, fiery furnace. He's on his portable throne, and he's going, hey, didn't we make a decree that th- three guys be thrown in, you know? And I see a fourth, and the fourth looks like the Son of God. And these guys are walking around in there, and they're not burnt. The only thing that was burnt was the ropes that had them all bound up. And he would say, Come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then he made a new decree. He made a new decree that if anybody speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they shall be cut in pieces. So that was Nebuchadnezzar, always changing his mind. He was a hothead. He made decrees, and then he would change it a few minutes later, you know, as we see in Daniel chapter 3. Now, when it came to the Medo-Persian Empire that it wasn't that way. Whenever the king made a decree, it was law. Now keep that in mind as the book of Esther unfolds, because he's going to sign a decree that all the Jews should be destroyed. And I think that he's going to be deceived in that. We'll see that next time. But as he makes that decree, it could not be changed. And here he makes this decree that cannot be changed. And um, so that's the way it was with the Medo-Persian Empire. We see that in Daniel chapter 6. Remember Daniel chapter 6? Under Darius, that here is Daniel. He's really Darius's right-hand man. And the other leaders of the kingdom are very much against Daniel. And they try to find fault with Daniel, but they could not. And Daniel had an excellent spirit within him. And that's my prayer for us. That as we are just living for the Lord and living in this world, that people will look at you and me and they would see this excellent spirit within us. The reality of Jesus Christ in us. So they knew that if they were going to get to Daniel, that they had to do it concerning his faithfulness to God. So they came to Darius, and you know the story how they said, hey, King Darius, we thought it'd be a great idea, all of us leaders, that no one could worship any other god except for you, Darius, for the next 30 days. No prayer can be given, no petition to any other god. So he signs it. Well, it was law. And then, as Daniel knew that the decree had been signed, he goes to his window, facing Jerusalem, And he begins to pray as was his custom. He was faithful to be a man of prayer and praying to the Lord. And these guys are underneath the window and they're saying, aha, we got Daniel. And so they go to the king and they said, hey, he is praying to his God and now you have to throw him into the den of lions. And remember Darius in chapter 6, he's so upset that he signed that. He's staying up all night as Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. You know, how can... How could I erase this? How could I change it? But he couldn't. And it's the same with this. So remember that, that when a decree was made under the Medo Persian Empire, it could not be changed. And so, chapter two, after these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Fasti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. So the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom. Um, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarter under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given to them. And then let the young women who pleased the king be queen instead of Vasti. and this thing pleased the king, and he did so. So he, after you know, these things, between chapter 1 and chapter 2, four years passed by. Because chapter 1, it took place when Queen Vasti wouldn't come out in the third year of his reign. We know that as we go on in this chapter, that he is having this take place in the seventh year of his reign. So it's taken him a while to calm down his wrath society. And it was also during those four years that, remember in chapter 1, he has all the leaders there He's trying to get them, hey, let's all get together, get this huge army, and let's go against Greece, and I want to avenge my father's you know, defeat of Greece. And that's what he does during chapter 1 and um, before we get to chapter 2 in, those, in that four-year period. He goes to battle against Greece. He defeats Greece, but he paid a very, very heavy price. Militarily, he lost a lot of men, and also we know that economically affected the empire as well. So he comes back after these things. Um, He um, remembers, you know, what happened. He comes back really a defeated man. And he remembers fasty And and what exactly does that mean? Was he lonely? Uh, Was he missing her? Did he think, "I, I, I made a hasty decision? I do want to encourage all of us that at times when we go through difficulties and trials or hard circumstances or we get angry, we need to make sure that we don't make haste decisions just based on emotions. And that can be hard because emotions are real. And emotions can, ten, can really overwhelm us. All of us, I think, if, if, at least most of us, we've experienced that. Whether it's with grief or whether it's with anger or whether it's with wrath or deep hurt and in those times we have to make decisions but we want to make sure that in those times that we don't make just haste decisions just based on emotions that we want to be able to to seek the lord and to seek his word and to seek godly counsel from others and and that is something that that i think is worth mentioning here tonight because we can have a tendency when we're overwhelmed with emotions, that we make these haste decisions, and, and we want to be careful in that. And again, sometimes you know when we're going through those times of whatever emotion seems to be overwhelming you, that we have to make decisions. But always seek the Lord and pray to the Lord and help for God's, uh, ask for His help and, and search God's Word and seek godly counsel for, from other brothers and sisters that will, will help. So these wise men pick up on, you know, the king, he's kind of down, he's defeated. Um, Hey, let's have a beauty contest. Let's have a, pick out a, a new queen. So we'll gather all the beautiful young virgins to come and be under the care of the chief eunuch, and he'll prepare them. And the king says, yeah, I like that idea. And these women and young ladies, they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. And we're going to see that Esther doesn't have a choice in this. Just like Daniel didn't have a choice. And there are sometimes things that happen to us that we think, this wasn't my choice, Lord. Did I find myself in this situation? Or being taken away seems like captive by this. But the question that all of us need to ask is how is it that we're going to respond? We saw and we've talked about how Daniel responded. We're going to see how Esther responds. Are we going to respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? Are we going to respond in a way that, that we're trusting and resting in His love and His care for us? So what they're going to do is they're going to go and gather all these, these young women and Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that they had 400 women that the king would choose from. Here is the, the chief eunuch, Haggai, that he has to prepare them. Now, this is a very serious responsibility that he has. And in this responsibility, he needs to make sure that he is preparing them in a way that would be pleasing to the king in the sight and in intimacy with the king. And the most favored one would be his queen from that group. So now we get introduced to the main characters in in verse 5. In Shushan the Citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Benjamite. And Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem, from the captives who had been captured with uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. So here his family had been carried away, Mordecai's family, in 597 BC. He's a product of the Babylonian captivity, living here in Shushan. In verse 7, Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther. So that's her Jewish name, her, Hadassah. Her, her Persian name is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. And the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard and when many young women were gathered at Shushan the citadel under the custody of Haggai that Esther also was taken to the king's palace in the care of Haggai, uh, the custodian of the women. She was taken into custody. Again, I think that shows us and the language that's being used here that she was taken, she didn't have any choice, taken away from home. Not only is she off in the captivity in her family away from her homeland, but now she's taken into captivity once again. And we see here that as we are introduced to the main characters of the story, a certain name, uh, Jew named Mordecai. He's a relative of Esther. Esther's parents have died. And so he has um, you know, raised her and, um, and taken care of her. And Esther, her name means star, and being raised by Mordecai because, again, her parents were not alive. And here she is is described as beautiful and lovely in appearance, but what we're going to see that she was beautiful and lovely in her soul and in her heart spiritually. We live in a society where we love to emphasize beauty and outward appearance and in all of this. And I pray that we here tonight, all of us, that we wouldn't get, you know, sucked into that kind of mentality. That the greatest beauty that any of us can have is that spiritual beauty of one who just loves the Lord, who has a heart for the Lord. You remember that when Saul was rejected, the king of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 15, And it was Samuel that was told, go to Jesse's house there in Bethlehem and you're going to anoint the new king. So he comes and he knocks on the door of Jesse who had, uh, you know, these sons. And the first one, Eliab, comes out before the eldest and he's tall and he's handsome. and, And it's Samuel that said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord rebuked Samuel. And said, Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. That's what man does. But God looks at the heart, and it would end up being the youngest who was ruddy, who wasn't even there, wasn't even presented before Samuel. Samuel Samuel's saying, none of these guys are the new king. Do you have any more sons, Jesse? And Jesse said, well, the youngest one, he's out with the sheep. Go get him. And he was the one that was anointed king because they had a heart after God. Are you a man or a woman that has a heart after God. And the spiritual beauty is far more of a priority than the physical, than, you know, the desiring, the the appearance where, you know, we think that's where our worth is. Your worth is in you belong to Jesus Christ. And you as a Christian, you are beautiful. There is a beauty within you that the Lord sees and that we see that is so wonderful. And don't ever forget that. Don't ever lose that. And here we're going to see, as we will continue through the book of Esther, and we'll pick it up here next time, that this young lady who's taken captive is going to be used of the Lord, but we're going to see her spiritual beauty that's going to shine forth as she's going to be used for such a time as this to help save the people, the Jewish people, from destruction. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that we uh, were able to begin to look at this and, and Lord, be introduced to Esther and Mordecai and as the story begins to unfold. And it's a difficult time. It's a difficult situation. And, Lord, this young lady that we're told was beautiful in appearance, but, Lord, we know that more than anything, we're going to see that she was beautiful in her heart and in her spirit towards you, her love towards you. And Lord, may we have that beauty as well. That, Lord, that we would recognize that you see the heart. And my prayer for all of us here is we would have a heart for you and love you and desire to, Lord, just know you, to walk with you. Father, my prayer is, is that we would encourage one another and be a blessing to one another. Father, we thank you that it was Jesus that Isaiah says that his appearance would not draw people, that there was no form or comeliness that would draw to him. He he was a carpenter's man with rough hands and And Lord, he would go because of his love for us and die for us on a cross. And Lord, we thank you for his heart for us and dying on Calvary's cross for our sins. So Father, I pray that just as Daniel had an excellent spirit within him, that we would as well. That we would have that Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is manifested from us, your beauty, your countenance, your love, your light. Father, help us to stand for what's right and to fear you over fearing man and to stand for what is good and just. And Father, I know that there is a price that sometimes is paid in this life when we do that but we also know that you care for your people and you will honor that. So Father, give us courage, give us strength. And Lord, we thank you that as we see this story unfold that is recorded for us, that we may be encouraged to know that you're with us and you love us. And that you have us here for such a time as this to be a light to others. So Lord, bless our evening and May we encourage one another. Lord, I do pray, if there by chance is anyone that's listening on live stream or in this sanctuary or in the coffee shop listening to this message, that I want to tell you, if you've never received Jesus, that he loves you and he sees your heart and he knows everything about you and he died for your sins because of his love for you. And if you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he is your salvation. That he came to this world to die for us sinners as he hung on that cross for you. And the Bible says, because of our sin, we're separated from God. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news, that Jesus Christ, as he died for your sins, he's made provision for forgiveness forgiveness. He rose again from the grave and he's alive. Mm -hmm. And he desires to save you as you call out to him and come in faith and put your faith and trust in him. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, that he conquers sin and death and that he is the bread of life as we've been reading on Sunday morning that whoever believes in him should never hunger and thirst, and whoever believes in him will believe into everlasting life. It only comes through Jesus. If that means anything to anyone, will you come after service so I can pray with you? And you can make a decision for Jesus. And Father, may we always make a decision to do what is right in your sight every single day. Bless your people here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.